This is David Rovix, and you are tuned to 3CR, 8.55 a.m., Melbourne, Australia. Step three is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true. That if all the people work collectively, there just might be something we can do, and everything can change. Welcome to the Climate Action Radio Show, which can be heard on Community Radio 3CR in Melbourne and Skid Row in Sydney. My name is Vivian Langford, and salut Babette. We'd like to pay our respects to elders past and present and pay tribute to the decades-long legacy of Aboriginal fights for land rights and against the destructive mining projects that are fueling climate change. In particular, we acknowledge the Wangan and Jagalingu cultural custodians and their ongoing opposition to coal mining on their lands in central Queensland, and to the Gomorrah traditional custodians continuing opposition to coal and gas on their land in New South Wales. It is vital at this late stage in history that we all learn to care for country. It will always be Aboriginal land, and now is our time to all stand up for and protect it. Hello everybody. Traditional owners came all the way down from Northern Territory to Sydney for the Tambaran Resources AGM. It was in the city and there are about 100 people there who are allies of this and people who want to stop fracking the Northern Territory. I was there for community radio because, well, there was no other media there and I know you will want to hear from Auntie Rhonda Dixon-Grosvenor Marissa Baldwin-Robertson, who's from GetUp, uh, a man from Northern Territory called Bradley, and a doctor who had worked in Arnhem Land. She represented Doctors for the Environment. There are so many reasons to stop fracking the Northern Territory, and so you can upskill yourself on those reasons and start protesting because it's really urgent. We're in the exploration phase still, and once it's extracted, these People are going to suffer so badly, plus all the rest of the world, from the exported emissions. After that, we will go on a tour of Gomorrah country up in northern New South Wales with two Pacific climate warriors. They were from 350.org. Their names are Jacinta Fa'amu and Gabriel Vaigana Vinaka, who was in Fiji. Warami, Gadigal, Nora. Warami, Mujis, welcome, my friends, to Gadigal land. Warain. That's why I'm standing here today to say no fracking, no mining, no more destroying Mother Earth and the beautiful waterways because it poisons the waters and poisons the animals and the people and it destroys sacred land. There's wars going on and it's just disgusting. It's so sad I can't watch it. I have to turn it off because people are destroying each other. They're destroying Mother Earth and all the waterways and the, the air. They're poisoning all the air. And when these bombs and the fracking and everything goes off, it's, it's just in turmoil. Mother Earth is in turmoil. Everything is in turmoil. The animals, people are in turmoil. The world's going crazy. I'm in turmoil. The energy that is around today, I'm not feeling good. I'm not behaving properly the way I should. I'm not talking the way I should be talking. I'm out of control because the world is out of control. 
and I have to pull back and look at myself and remind myself of why I'm here on this earth, to look after Mother Earth, look after the animals, respect each other, not to destroy each other. We weren't put on this earth to destroy each other and destroy Mother Earth. You know, we're here, we're saying no. Stop this greed, stop this destroying, and let's shake ourselves up and think about why we're here on this earth, to look after Mother Earth, look after the animals, look after each other. So I'm sorry that I'm, I'm telling you these things, that, but I've got to speak the truth, and I've got to let you know that I'm feeling it. I'm sure you are feeling it too. Thank you. Thank you, Ani Rhonda. And, you know, they were beautiful words that mean so much to us here today and it's why we're all here rallying together out the front of Tambor and Resources to let them know that traditional owners do not consent to fracking in the Northern Territory. So I think I can see a lot of people walking into Tamboran Resources office right now. So I think let's make sure they can hear us before we get some more speakers up. So I'm sure you all know um, one of our chants, don't frack the NT, is that right? Yeah, so can you say it with me? Don't frack the NT! Don't frack the NT! introduce GetUp CEO Larissa Baldwin-Roberts to give you a bit of context why we're standing here today and the history of fracking in the Northern Territory. Jingle uh, everyone, thank you for being here, thank you Arnie for that welcome. So important to be welcomed to country by traditional owners down here. Uh, and I want to say acknowledge all the First Nations people here and some of the traditional owners that have travelled down from across the Northern Territory to be here today. We are here today at Tambor and Resources AGM. They are about to run away back to the US and think that they can dodge our accountability. They think they can hide from us and hide from any accountability to Australian legislation and continue fracking the NT. And we are here to say that we are going to not let them do that. Uh, we will follow them all the way to U the US and to Delaware to make sure that they stop fracking across the NT. So I want to give you a bit of context, um, this campaign has been going for over a decade. I was invited in uh, by traditional owners across Gulf Country almost 10 years ago, but I want to acknowledge that this fight has been going much, much longer from the time when traditional owners were trying to work out what the hell was happening across the Territory. So many wonderful traditional owners that are on our billboard that's driving around now. And all of these traditional owners at some point have made their way down to Sydney to go to the, the, the uh, companies that are going to frack the N2, the AGMs, to meet with um, politicians at Parliament in their offices here in Sydney. But for 10 years, traditional owners, over 10 years, traditional owners have been sowing, saying no to fracking. That has meant thousands of uh, traditional owners going to inquiries, talking about the impact it will have on country. We've run massive campaigns to make sure that we looked at the, the protection of cultural heritage and water and actually what it would mean for community health across the Territory. And absolutely communities, oh, there was a fracking report that came down uh, in 2016 that said overwhelmingly Aboriginal communities in the Northern Territory do not want fracking on their land. What is important to understand and what many of these uh, American companies are saying in their boardrooms, and we've heard them before, that there are very little uh, uh, ability for traditional owners in the Northern Territory to resist and to say no. We are now in a phase, uh, what we call exploration phase, where a lot of these companies have mineral licenses and they are drilling to see what, how much oil and gas is in the Northern Territory. And once that moves to production and they go and say to their investors, hey, there's a lot of gas here, let's, put, let's spend the money to get it out, traditional owners no longer have any right to negotiate. So it is it's shameful. It is incredibly important that we are raising right now, while we are still in exploration phase, and we won't stop if it even goes to production, but we have to do so much work right now to make sure that there is the right regulation in terms of protection of water, which the Labor government federally is stalling on. Um, they have promised cultural heritage regulation uh, before they were in government, when the opposition was in government. 
uh, and we still haven't seen that regulation come in to protect cultural heritage. In the Northern Territory, shame. In the Northern Territory, it, under these licenses, the licenses that Tamburin is going to frack, uh, that they took over from Origin, is almost one and a half times the size of Sydney. So when you think about the process of the Native Title Act, which is, has you know, set traditional owners up to fail in so many aspects, those licenses and that ability, what we know that the Northern Land Council did was went door to door to traditional owners and got them to sign off. That is not due process under Native Title. And now the Land Councils and the fracking corporations said, well, it wasn't our problem and we've got the signatures anyway. Even though traditional owners are saying, who signed these licenses? We have seen the consultations that they have done. They did not convene the traditional owner groups. There are up to 11 different licenses uh, under the licenses of Tambourine. And at no stage has their due process been met where they have been able to come together and no one has explained to them what a fracking gas field will look like on their country. What we've had to rely on over the years is showing what the fracking gas fields look like in Queensland, had traditional owners and uh, Native American people come over from the US to explain what US companies like Tambrin, exactly like Tambrin, have been doing over there, what it has meant for their aquifers, and what it has meant in terms of uh, basically a lot of FIFO workforce. People want to be able to live on country and work on country. We are seeing you might have seen at the beginning of this year when there was big floods, there was a lot of racist reporting around what was happening in Alice Springs. What was not reported in that is that there was a huge amount of flooding that was happening in remote communities and there is nowhere to put um, people from homelands when there are huge floods. And what they do is they ship them into Catherine or they ship them into Alice Springs and leave them there for weeks. And so people are talking about the climate crisis and how it is affecting Northern Australia, but in remote communities where the government say, and the Northern Territory and the federal government say, well, this is basically a developing country, so they justify that fracking is going to be uh, the economic gain. We know it won't deliver jobs. We know it won't deliver the resources, but also Northern Territory communities deserve better investment than fossil fuels. So we see in this uh, year, disgustingly, that the Northern Territory government greenlit fracking. They, the regulations that they had promised communities for multiple years, nearly five years since the inquiry, have not been implemented. There have not been protections around water. They have not done the work around subterranean sacred sites and protecting them. They have not done the surface area mapping around what it means for cultural heritage. And they are steamrolling ahead anyways. The federal government at the last election, we were out on polling in community. They wrote signs and they said that they will put in a water trigger. The water trigger exists in many places across Australia around coal and coal seam gas. But for shale gas, there is no water trigger to look at what this means for water. And we are talking about an, um, a destructive type of fracking where we dig underneath, uh, drill underneath the aquifers. We have mega frackers up there that can drill in many kilometre radius at the same time. And there is no regulation and we have never seen this infrastructure used in this country. So the Labor government everywhere is saying that the NT is a sacrifice zone. This gas and if they find oil is for an offshore market. So don't believe their lies that it's going to bring down the cost of living. And even if it was to bring down the cost of gas anywhere on the East Coast, it's not right to destroy Northern Territory communities to do that and their water. Over 90% of the land mass in the Northern Territory relies on groundwater sources. Uh, there have been significant promises to fix cultural heritage, to put the Water Trigger Act, in, um, the Water Trigger in. We know that Tambourine has been lobbying the federal government, saying, "Don't do that." U.S. companies shouldn't be able to do that to deny Aboriginal people rights and protection of water in order to frack their land. At their windows right now, seeing how many people are coming down here today to stand in solidarity with traditional owners. So, 100 people are standing here today. Woo! So it's only right that I have the honour to introduce a traditional owner, Bradley Farrar, all the way from his community, an Alawa traditional owner, to talk about what he has been experiencing in his own community and country and the fight for to stop fracking for over a decade. These miners are draining out of rivers. They polluting our land. And we don't want that. I don't want that. I used to travel with my companion, but 
But my ancestors are with me here today. They came here with me, they traveled with me. My grandfather always followed my footsteps. It's my honor to be here representing my people back home. Because my people back home, they don't quite understand yet. A war is a resource. It's not a resource, but it's, a, it's my totem. My, my grandfather told him. And in our law, we're supposed to protect our water and our land, our plants, our animals. That's why our ancestors were fighting for, for the right thing. Where they want to dig, it's a sacred site. Most of the sacred sites are based on mining. And we don't want that to happen. I've been with Norlingi for a while, and I lost a good leader. And he's not here with me today, and so, if our water gets polluted, there will be no rope river. Our river will be gone for good. There's nothing will be left for our kids, for, our, for, for my kids and for their kids. And if the water gets polluted, everything dies. Without the water, we wouldn't exist. Water is life. And I'm a tribal man. I'm a leader as well. I'm a, I'm a traditional leader. My people look up to me. And I'm not quite old, but I'm young. And but I've been, things have been handed over to me. So I'm pretty happy to be here today. I've traveled a long way, and it's great to see all of you supporting us. I hope I'm not here alone. I'm Jeffrey. I'm Alphonse. I'm Erwin. And we, we are, are from, from the Voice of West Papua. Tuesday, 6.30 until 7.30 p.m. News and music from West Papua. the Tamboran AGM in Sydney and the theme here is Don't Frack the NT. Here is one of the doctors for the environment to explain why. We're here today to talk about fracking. Why is this a health issue? Why do you need a doctor to come and talk about it? I've got a nice big document here that can help explain it. It's 104 pages long. I'll try and summarise it in a couple of minutes. So climate change is a health issue. We know that. Everyone agrees about that. The UN agrees about it, the WHO agrees about it. In Australia, we've got the AMA, the RACGP, all of the medical colleges are on board agreeing that there's a climate emergency and it's a health emergency. We know that climate change is causing extreme weather events. That affects human health. It's changing the patterns of vector-borne diseases. That's mosquito-borne diseases. We had the first outbreak of Japanese encephalitis ever in the southern states of Australia last year. Um, we know it's affecting mental health, so many things. And methane is a potent greenhouse gas. We know that when we acknowledge the leakage that happens with fracking, that it's no better than coal. It's not natural either. It's no more natural than coal, no more natural than uranium. We're really worried about water contamination. You know, when we do the fracking, they use a lot of toxic chemicals and those can leach into the water. But also when you're fracturing the, the ground underneath, the, the heavy metals that are sitting in the ground can leach into the water too. Um, that has really significant implications for drinking water, agriculture, food security. And the Beelu Basin is a desert. All of the water that's available is essentially under the ground and it's all linked. So if you contaminate it, you're going to end up contaminating huge, vast areas of the Northern Territory's water supply. We're concerned about air contamination. Um, gas and particulate matter from burning the gas is really dangerous and affects airways. And what are these harmful chemicals we're talking about? The ones we're most worried about are called these endocrine disrupting chemicals. There are actually heaps of them. Lots of them have long names. Don't ask me to 
um, pronounce them or even remember them, a lot of them we don't actually know enough about yet. But experimental models show that there's disruption to reproductive function. I've seen The Handmaid's Tale, that makes me really anxious. It, it causes disruption to mammary gland development. I'm talking about boobs, boob development. It, it disrupts immune function. It causes neurodevelopmental defects. Um, and we're also talking about other chemicals like nitrogen oxide, ozone, and this particulate matter from the burned gas, which affect respiratory function. So what does this stuff do to people? Well, luckily, or unluckily, Tambaram have actually done a whole lot of fracking and big projects like this in America already, and we have heaps of data, so we know exactly what it does to people. Um, if you live near an oil or gas mining facility, we know that you can expect to have migraines, sinus problems, asthma, heart disease, more heart attacks. You can have an increase in deaths. You can have a decrease in your life expectancy. You will have an increase in uh, mental health conditions. I mean anxiety, depression, but also more complex and rare mental health conditions. There's an increased incidence of sexually transmitted diseases in and around these um, mines. That's statistically significant. I wonder why that happens. Um, impacts on fetuses are pretty disturbing, including reduced birth weight of babies, increased miscarriages, birth defects. And I'm not just talking about missing a little finger. I'm talking about birth defects of the brain, the gut, the heart. And really horrifyingly, an increased risk of blood cancers, in particular acute lymphoblastic leukaemia. That's a paediatric ca blood cancer, so it affects children. And it's worth noting at this point that Darwin doesn't actually have a paediatric oncology unit. So if your kid gets cancer in Darwin or in the Northern Territory, you actually have to go interstate to get that child treated. I would like to know whether Tam Brand would like to sponsor a paediatric oncology unit for Darwin, given that they're likely to need one. And while, when they're doing all of this, all, all of this damage, who are they doing it to? Well, it's Australia. So we're going to do it to the Aboriginal people, the most vulnerable people, the people with the sickest kids, the lowest life expectancy, the, the worst and most complex health problems in this country. And we're not just going to hurt them in, in their physical health, we're also going to hurt them spiritually, emotionally, socially. As we tear up their land, we know how important that is to them. As we fracture the earth underneath them, we're going to damage their hearts. So I'm going to close with a quote which is from the opening of this document and it says good health requires not merely the absence of disease but also clean air a safe and sufficient supply of clean water and nutritious food a safe and stable climate and a strong and supportive so social cultural and spiritual environment these are the foundational pillars of human health <laughs>
Wildlife Victoria is a non-profit wildlife emergency response service dedicated to helping wildlife in need across Victoria. Our volunteers rescue and rehabilitate sick, injured and orphaned wildlife. If you see wildlife that may need our help, on the road, in your backyard or in the bush, please contact us immediately on 84007300. That's 84007300. To donate or to become a volunteer, visit wildlifevictoria.org.au a 3CR supporter. Climate Action Radio takes us today to an historic tour of Gomeroy country. I have two Pacific Island warriors with me who went on the tour, which is part of a global action called Power Up. As coal, oil and gas companies announce record profits and Australia gives permits to new coal and gas projects, we watch. They make obscene profits while Pacific Islands are battered by cyclones and there seems to be an end, there seem to be endless billions to supply new wars that we see every night on TV. 350.org has joined forces with frontline communities and grassroots groups for a month of climate action. There are hundreds of local actions throughout November leading up to a big showing at on um, at COP28 on December 9th. It's in Dubai. It, this this um, powering up is about renewable energy and calling for the fossil fuel industry to pay for the crisis it has caused. Pacific Island warriors were invited to meet Gomorrah people near two of the major fossil projects in Australia. That's Whitehaven Coal and Santos Gas. And I'd like to welcome Jacinta Fa'amu, uh, who is one of the Pacific Climate Warriors, um, with me today. So Jacinta, tell us about your three-day tour first and, and how were you welcomed by the Gomorrah people? Uh, thanks, Vivian. Uh, so we travelled up uh, northwest New South Wales uh, towards the Narrabri region, which is on Gomorrah country. And there was a convoy, I think there were about 60 of us. 
And um, once we arrived, uh, Kara Kinchella, who is one of the traditional owners of Gomorrah, um, took us to um, uh, this really beautiful spot beside Namoy River. And um, they held space for us to do a welcome to country. Uh, so there was a smoke ceremony, but having a whole bunch of Pacific Islanders um, and, and a lot of other uh, indigenous groups we celebrated our arrival with a lot of food and singing and dancing which was really special and um it just like naturally led to um a, a circle of sharing stories so that's how we that was basically our day one and then for the remaining of the days Kara took us on a tour around Gamora country she took us to a few significant places that were uh, not only of importance to her culture but uh were also like directly impacted by uh santos and whitehaven so we visited you know the largest coal mine in the country we went to um, a creek where um, a lot of these like to extract gas you need a lot of like natural water which is being taken out by the basin nearby and um yeah, it, it was just a beautiful uh, tour. Uh, we learned a lot about the land. You know, you're in the middle of the country and you'd be at a place where they have their own sand, which was really interesting. Um, but yeah, just a lot of like, like Namoy River, um, Kara explained to us that it means like, like the breast of a woman because it's what gives life to the land. Um, and we met a lot of Kara's family, her children were there. So it did feel like just like a big family gathering, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the places that we visited just held a lot of feelings of like sadness and shock, just seeing like the destruction that the industry has had on the land. But you're also with people who care about protecting future. So you're also like refueled or refueled with hope and resilience. And th that was probably my highlight of our tour on Gomorrah country. Really? Oh, that sounds wonderful. And tell me about some of the projects you saw, the Whitehaven or the uh, Santos projects. I remember when I first saw my big open cut coal mine, I went on a tour like that and it was like the Grand Canyon. I just couldn't get over the size of it. But I don't know how Whitehaven and Santos, how big they are. What what does it look like where they are? Yeah, so when we went to Santos, they uh the team had printed us like a a satellite view, like a picture of like the the, the space that Santos kind of uh, operates on and you could like we could basically point with like our finger just how tiny we would have been on that map on like standing at the gate where you know where Santos has locked community out of but I think the coal mine was probably um the one that held a lot of feelings um because you could see the the coal truck, the coal mining trucks, uh, in a distance, and they were like this tiny, um, kind of like doing their rounds in the mines. And you can, for those of us who have seen coal mining trucks before, we can kind of imagine like, you know, that that truck is this this small. The the tires on those trucks are this big. And so, yeah, it was very hard to fathom the, the size of the coal mine. But I can see yeah. Gabby has joined. <laughs> Good morning, Gabby guys. joined us from Fiji. It's... And just for <laughs> listeners, um, Jacinda's making huge arm gestures. So she's saying this small like her <laughs> and this big like her arms waving around in the air. So we can see very, very big and, you know, huge. So thank you, Gabriel, for joining us from Fiji. Nice to see you. Tell us what did you find up in Gomorrah country? How did they welcome you? What did you feel? So, yeah, uh, when we went up to Gomorrah country, they accorded us with a traditional welcome. And, and that traditional welcome sort of uh, made the space more comfortable because I understand that we shared a lot in culture. And that similarity, it made us bold enough to confront each other and talk about the struggles we have. And 
when I went up to Gomorrah country, I know it was my first time seeing a coal mine. And mm. seeing the, the the vast size of a coal mine made me feel a bit intimidated because I've never seen something so huge, so destructive and so tragic. Mm. Uh, and I think one of the takeaways for me is that uh, when I, when I went to Gomorrah country, I see what they are going through. I see what what, what the indigenous people they are trying to do, so that they could uh, protect their natural sites or their sacred sites. It sort of gave me that that empowering feeling because I know that they are up against big big corporations, and somehow they were talking about. These corporations, they get fined, but they just pay their fine, and then they are back to digging, and they are back to, to, to explode uh, explosives and all these dangerous um, things for the environment. Yeah, so it made me feel very intimidated and scared. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. you are Pacific warriors, and I like this word warrior because warriors aren't just people who run around with nuclear bombs yeah. threatening and dropping yeah. from the sky. You know, warriors are clever. They get inside mm. and they work yeah. out what the enemy's thinking. And that's what exactly you're doing. You're sussing out the territory. You're looking at the mine. You're getting a real idea yeah. of the size of it. But those big companies in their glass towers, <laughs> we're going to have to undermine them. And, you know, it's it's it's, it's happening yeah. on the ground and with grassroots people like yourselves and like many people I know. So On the ground. Yeah, yeah, on the ground. It maybe seems like to all of us now that that will never crumble, but I think it has yeah. to. <laughs> Jacinda, can you tell us, did this three-day meeting, you know, the tour, did it strengthen your ability to take climate action? I believe so. I think, like, when you look at the people of Gomorrah, they have a long history of pushing against the fossil fuel industry. We're able to tap into that and learn from those experiences because it shapes how, you know, we will like continue that fight going forward. Um, but also the Pacific Climate Warriors have a very special history of campaigning against coal, specifically in Australia and Whitehaven coal. So this action marked uh, nine years since the Pacific Climate Warriors led their canoe flotilla uh, in Newcastle, which we know is one of the world's largest exporters of coal, where coal is operated from. And so to come back and, and visit these places, yes, you go through those feelings of despair and loss, but being amongst people uh, who understand that connection to land and that commitment to fighting for our future, you know, showing up for each other, and taking charge on the world that we want to see for ourselves, the world that we want to build for our communities. This trip on Gomorrah country definitely like strengthened that hope for me. But yeah, our gathering last week just really reinforced like our relationship with our Gomorrah people, with our allies in the movement, um, as well as like that hope for ourselves to continue this fight. This is Stephen Pigram from up Broomway, Yauru country, and it's great to be down in Melbourne and you're listening to 3CR Community Radio. Been here for a long time. You're listening to the Climate Action Radio Show and this is about two Pacific warriors, Jacinta Fa'amo and Gabriel Vaganovinaka and their tour of Gomoroi country to check out what Whitehaven coal and Santos gas is exporting to wreck their islands. Well, you have many allies in the cities who've never seen the Gomoroi country, never seen a Pacific island, but they sort of know it because they read all about it and hear about it. Maybe climate chaos is not so real to them. So tell us what we can do. People who live in the cities who just sort of care about it, what can we do? What's the most effective strategy, do you reckon? 
Yes, Pacific Climate Warriors have always organized community and actions with uh, with culture at the center of it. And this was a wonderful opportunity to, to share that with our partners and allies who are a part of this, this tour with us. Um, and it was like so that they could experience uh, the power that it can have on strengthening community to hold space for all the things that you might feel, especially when you're up uh, witnessing like a giant coal mine in front of you. Um, you might not have that experience in the city, but there is something about being amongst community that instills a lot of that empowerment and hope. Um, so yeah, I feel like uh, in the cities, just understanding the value that community can have on your activism journey is so important. Um, I think, uh, you know, resistance can look like many things other than the things that we're used to seeing in the cities, like the protests, the rallies, the lobbying, but resistance can also look like prayer, song, dance, and, you know, resilience can also look like art and joy. Mm. And we met, you know, we did all of those things during our trip on Gomore. Um, and I think, you know, the more we can become aware of the destructive industry, um, you know, the more we learn and feel empowered on like how we can prepare ourselves, how we can come up with a strategy to take on this work. Um, and in those times, especially in the times that we're in right now, uh, it is the time for art and creativity. Um, I think it helps to inform how important community is in this work, um, being in communities, how to be of service to community. Uh, climate change, as we know, affects everyone and it's a global problem. And so it will, it requires everyone to be a part of the solution. And I think the best way, the best source of inspiration on how folks in this city can, um, can take part, it's power up. It's a month of action for us. And there'll be like hundreds of people around the world who are going to demonstrate the many ways communities around the world can can look at this and take part in this work. Excellent. <laughs> Jacinda, you've got a real fire in your eye. Gabriel, could I bring you in here? Listeners can look up Power Up website to see actions around the world, but there was one yeah. in Port Moresby, for example, which is an art exhibition, a fashion show, and an open mic event. So people could just step up, take the microphone and tell how climate yeah. change is affecting them. I thought that was a brilliant idea, just a little public <laughs> meeting like that and people can say how it's affecting them. Now, I know both of you could tell us stories, graphic stories of what's happening in different parts of the Pacific, but can you tell us what people, for example, in Niue, in um, Fiji, in Solomon Islands, in New Caledonia, New Zealand, what are they doing? And how are they attracting the media around this power-up? What most of us in the Pacific did was, in our power-up events, we did an activity on art. As Jacinta said, and I'll build on that, um, Art. there's many forms of resistance. And art, I think, is one of the best. Because when you paint how you feel and you paint your story, you paint or you draw your understanding, of climate change or the struggle that we are going through in the Pacific, it sort of, it sort, it sort of pulls people and their interest. As uh, I've, I've been uh, speaking to a lot of our young people here, and we've been talking about art. As we see in the Pacific, many things are built on art. We yeah. draw, we draw how we came into the Pacific. We draw about our stories. We draw about how how our elders used to work back in the days. And so that art, it sort of pulls other young people and also the media to see what we're trying to do, what we're trying to get, our message and our key our key messages that we're trying to get across so that other young people could join the struggle. Tell us about one, you know, one ex describe one of them. So one of uh, the, the, the activities that they did here in Fiji was to, to, to draw what they think about renewable energy and how does it look like for them. Mm. So then different people, some people draw trees and they drew how trees could become, trees are renewable by themselves and how they could give us energy. And some drew the ocean, some drew, some drew animals. And so, so that sort of links us to what we're trying to do here. 
and to face out fossil fuels and get more renewable energy. And that art, it's it 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 def it defines how young people here in the Pacific look at climate change and how we could get into a equitable transition. Yeah. Yeah. What did you feel when you were with the Gomorrah people up there with the big coal mines and that? Did you get some sort of visual images? Can you Do you think you can make some art out of that? I don't know if people were filming the tour, but it would have made a great film, yes. wouldn't it? Definitely, yeah. I would have painted a very big picture. I was looking at how Gomorrah people and they're sharing on their struggles, their hopes, and sharing on their spiritual connection, that that sort that that picture sort of is a sort of already existing in my head, because the same values that they build upon, the same efforts that they put in, that's the same thing we're also doing here in the Pacific. Yeah, and and that picture makes it much more easier for me to come and tell other young people here what the Gomorrah people are going through. As we're recording this, the Prime Minister of Australia is in Rarotonga uh, for Pacific mm. Islands Forum. Pacific Island. Right. And he's telling them that Australia's emissions are going down. That's what he's telling them. He said, well, our emissions are going down. And I think he expects a big round of applause and everyone patting him on the back. Well, that, it's terribly <laughs> nothing, isn't it? It's nothing. And I wonder, are your demands to the Australian government to make the fossil people pay, the exporters pay, and make the finance go to renewable energy much more powerfully. Is this being expressed hard enough? Is I didn't read anything in the Pacific Island media about Australia is being confronted with, you should stop your exports. Do you think it's being expressed hard enough? Yeah, thanks, Vivian. Um, I know, yeah, Gabby, definitely jump in if I miss anything, but I, I feel like there, we're in this uh, time where we're going to see countries like Australia, like trying to convince the world that they're on track, they're doing all the right things, yeah. they care about their constituents, and um, it's really important for our, for our network and our communities to just like commit to like repeating and amplifying our key messages because we can't let them think that they can get away with the greenwashing that they uh, have been doing for so long yeah you mentioned like are they going to pay for the destruction that they've uh, contributed towards and absolutely our key demands out one of with there's only three and our third key demand specifically on paying up to pay up climate finance. The Pacific cannot be left behind in the renewable energy revolution. Mm -hmm. Those most responsible for this crisis must commit to funding the energy transition, not only for themselves, but for countries experiencing the worst impacts. You know, we call on rich global North countries and, you know, Australia as well, to commit to the finance needed to power up that transition, the just transition uh, in the Pacific. So like, like, while we don't want to have the same thing happen where they build a whole new infrastructure and there are those of us who get left behind because we can't afford it, we need to make sure that as we're transitioning to renewable energy, that we're bringing all of our communities from the ground up to be a part of that transition as well. And that costs money and that's got to come from somewhere. And we all know who needs where it needs to come from. Um, so yeah, not getting caught up in the lies and the, the fake news that they, Australia wants to put out, uh, to the world. Um, and we just got to stay on track and keep committing to our demands, make sure that they are heard loud and clear. But yeah. Gabby, I, yeah, was there, I'm not sure if I missed anything there. Maybe Gabby, Gabriel, could you tell us about the, like, the Fiji media? And uh, yeah. The media, how do they cover this? I think... Fiji media does when 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 you think about the Fiji media, I, I wouldn't say they're biased, but they sort of they, they sort of are political suits the agenda of those in power, and sometimes it necessarily does not put out the key messages that we're trying to say, and that is face out fossil fuels. We don't want that. We we want renewable energy. For the Pacific is is small islands like Fiji. Sometimes the media does not necessarily complement the messages that we're trying to get through 
Yeah. And it sort of becomes hard for us here in Fiji. But nonetheless, we still try and commit, just like Jay said, we still try and commit, we still try and amplify the messages and key messages that we believe in and the yeah. vision and the hope that we want to see our Pacific in, in the future. Yeah. Yeah. Where do you get good media that covers it how you want it? Like is New Zealand radio, are they helpful? Or I, I listen to New Zealand radio, for example, because I can look at their podcasts, but where do you get good media that covers this uh, story yeah, properly? Yeah, I feel at, at the time that we're in with what we're seeing around the world, it, it it's hard. It's not hard, but we are very conscious that we're not trying to like compete with what everyone needs to be aware of right now. Obviously, there is something else happening, but with that we have an opportunity where we can also demonstrate that you know we stand in solidarity with communities currently affected by what's going on around the world you know the ongoing violence but um you know we also want to uh want a world that's built on peace safety sustainability for communities and that's why we you know we keep referring back to our key messages and i think the media just needs to like, yeah, it, it's tricky. I think media in New Zealand is very different to media in Australia, as we know. Our work is being shared across our region. Um, and our, we, social media is also another big outlet for what's happening around the world, but also just being present in what's currently happening um, as well as is, is another factor but on another note entirely, I've been broadcasting about climate emergency for more than a decade and all the brave people who are pushing back against the fossil fuel neoliberal society that's taking well in my opinion they're taking us along a road to hell and there are these exit points we could take an exit ramp but we just at the moment don't and now we've got these large scale wars exploding that you're referring to and people being pulverized crushed nations are toying with nuclear weapons you know suggesting they might use them which you know all about in the Pacific where they were tested. So what does it mean to you to be a warrior and a climate warrior? Perhaps start with you, Gabrielle. Yeah, um, to be a climate warrior for me, it means to, to have hope, but also to, to have the strength to know that there are sometimes things we can control and things we can't. I've, I personally, personally believe that being a warrior is someone who leads followers and make followers leaders and we when we make followers leaders we we build them and we groom them to make them agents of change in this day and time so when we're going up against climate change we want agents of change we want people who who understand the struggle and they are they'll put in their effort no matter what the cost so that to me is, is a worry because warriors no matter the challenge, they still continue, they still push through. They are resilient in many ways, yeah. Mm. Jacinta? For me, I, I see being a warrior as someone who is uh, to be of service to community, um, who ensures that community has everything they have and need to be able to do what they need to survive and and thrive in the world that they want, that they want to see themselves in. And yeah, I feel like um, that can look like many things, just like making sure they have food, making sure they have access to information and resources. Um, just someone who knows what to do in the moment of need and, and can jump up and jump in and help get things done. Yeah, I love that. That's, that's sort of what I think, someone who knows what to do. And listeners, you can... Um, you know, join this crowd of people who are trying to learn how to know what to do. We're trying to enter a new society that's much safer for all of us. And these are the people from all over the world who are doing it as, you know, little grassroots groups like in Port Moresby, just having an open mic session and empowering other people to know what to do. And it's really, really important. Uh, is there any last word you'd like to say now, like to listeners uh, about this power up? They can look it up, but they can uh, support 350.org. What can they do just right now? Jacinta? Yeah, definitely jump online, check out. It, it could be an action near you. Just 
sign up and get involved or organize your own little community action just some a space to hold community and just talk talk about our dreams and hopes of what we want to see in the future but yeah i think it's it started last friday the 3rd of november and you know you will be a part of a global community who are going to take part in these actions and we're very lucky in the pacific because we get to kick off a lot of these actions um but you'll see these over the next few weeks i think there's like 200 actions that have already been registered around the world uh, we can always do with more so uh, yeah if there is no action near you, definitely sign up and join us and be a part of it. Okay, thank you. Last words from you, Gabriel, um, about the demands, the three demands you had. Uh, I think uh, the only thing I would want to say is uh, that we will push through and these three months are the key messages that we want to put out there to other young people and it's the vision and the hope we have for the Pacific to thrive in our world without climate change, without the deadly impacts of coal production and gas production, yeah. Just say the demands again, we didn't hear them. So uh, the demands we have is to first face out um, fossil fuels. Um, and Jay. Yeah, uh, so Sorry. phase out fossil fuels is one, we know that fossil fuels are the leading cause of the climate crisis you know we need to urgently phase out coal oil and gas if we are to protect the pacific and keep that goal of 1.5 degrees um the second one is power up renewable energy the world beyond fossil fuels must be built on justice and community well-being we need to rapidly scale up renewable energy that gives energy access to all especially frontline communities uh, while respecting land sea and um, pacific values and then the third one that i mentioned earlier was pay up climate finance uh, the pacific can't be left behind in the renewable energy revolution those most responsible for the crisis must commit to funding the energy transition, not only for themselves, but for countries experiencing the worst uh, impacts. Um, and that's our three demands. Thank you. Well, there we have some two very different warriors, listeners from the ones who come on our screen every night on TV. These are the new sort of warriors and they're both from the Pacific. Jacinta Fa'amu and Gabriel. Gabriel, yeah. say your name. I'm so sorry. I just mauled it. <laughs> How do you say your name? It's all right. Uh, Gabriel Vengonovinaka. Thank you very much. So thank you both for speaking to us today. And listeners, please look up 350.org's webpage and Power Up webpage to find more things you can do. Thanks very much. Are you a 3CR subscriber? We really need our listeners to subscribe to the station. It helps us remain financially independent and is an important part of our community governance. It's just $40 concession, $80 waged, $150 for a band or organization, and $300 solidarity. Become a 3CR subscriber today. 3CR Radical Radio. for tuning into the Climate Action Radio Show. My aim is to showcase the trends and what is happening among people committed to take climate action. Today, you heard traditional owners from the Northern Territory and their city allies who have campaigned for 10 years with Get Up, among other groups, to stop fracking for gas and oil in the Northern Territory. Thanks to Bradley, Auntie Rhonda, Larissa, and the Doctor for the Environment. Thanks also to 350.org and the Pacific Climate Warriors, who toured the Gomeroy lands in northern New South Wales to see just how Whitehaven coal and Santos gas are working to extract and pipe and export climate chaos. Thank you to Gabriel Vigano Vinaka in Fiji and Jacinta Faamo for reporting to us and expressing their ideals so humanely. The music tonight was from Small Island Big Sound. My name is Vivian Langford. Goodbye and good luck. This is coal. Don't be afraid. The Don't treasure. be scared. It's coal. It's coal. It's coal. Tune in every Monday at 5pm to hear the Climate Action Radio Show. 
power in relationships washes over you in this extraordinary collaboration between Forest Collective and BK Opera. The Sea plays from the 7th until the 10th of December at Abbotsford Convent. Tickets available from forestcollective.com.au. Forest Collective is a 3CR supporter.